Good morning. Uh, if you are new with us, my name is Ryan Ross. I have the privilege of serving here as one of the pastors. And uh, this morning, um, we are kicking off a new sermon series through the book of Genesis, uh, which is a reason to get pumped. Thank you for the one person uh, back there. I appreciate that. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Hey, we are going to go through the whole book, and this is going to be a blast. Uh, I am so excited about this. I love the book of Genesis and, and really have, have been so eager to get started with you and go on this journey uh, together with you. Now, if you are new and you're not real familiar with the Bible, great news. Uh, Genesis is the very first book in the entire Bible. So you just open up at the left, you go past the table of contents, and you'll be able to find your way there. And uh, it never gets easier for you than it does this morning, because this morning we're looking at just one verse, the very first verse in the entire Bible, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 1. And this is really the pace I think we're going to take this series, just a verse or two at a time per week. Uh, we, we calculated that out, and at that pace, it's going to take us about 29 and a half years to finish. Um, but... We, we thought that was a little bit too long, and so we met together as elders a few weeks ago and decided we would really push through, and we think uh, with a lot of effort, we can get through in about 17 years uh, instead of 29. Uh, just kidding, not true at all. Uh, we're going to take about a year of time through the book of Genesis with some breaks. We'll pick up a lot of speed next week uh, and not just cover one verse. Uh, but this morning, we've got to just cover this one verse because this one verse is so foundational, not just to the Bible, but really to everything we believe as Christians. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want to pray for us, I want to ask for God's help, uh, then I want to read this verse together, then I'll tell you kind of why we chose to preach through the book of Genesis and introduce you to the book, uh, and then we'll finish our time by walking through this one verse together. Sound good? All right, let me pray for us and ask for God's help again. Uh, God, I do pray now that as we come to your word, um, to a verse so packed and significant as this, and as we come to a new series uh, through the book of Genesis, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you illumine the text that you inspired and stir up our hearts to know you and trust you and love you? Would you do what we can't do in this moment? Would you do what I can't do in this moment and make uh, your words come alive in hearts? I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, would you help us to see Jesus in this moment in our time together now. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's read this together. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first words of the Bible, God speaks to us like this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, first, why preach through Genesis? Well, uh, a few reasons. One, because Genesis is so foundational to everything. The word Genesis, besides being the best band that Phil Collins was in, uh, and a really great gaming console, or so I hear, the Sega Genesis was a little bit before my time, uh, the word Genesis means birth or origin or beginnings, and that's really what we have here in the book of Genesis. We have both the beginnings of the biblical story and really the beginnings of the entire universe, of the entire world, and, and of our life and of our purpose in it. And so if you kind of get and understand what's going on in the book of Genesis, it's going to go an incredibly long way uh, to you understanding like why you're even here, what your life is all about, your purpose, why everything matters, and it's going to go an incredibly long way in you being able to read and understand your Bible and put your Bible back together. 
And so that's really the second reason we decided to preach through this book, because we want you to be able to read and understand your Bible, especially your Old Testament, and Genesis is so key to that because it's so foundational and so connected to everything else, and everything else gets its start here. And I think we kind of know this intuitively, right? Like if you walk into a movie 45 minutes after it has started, you shouldn't really expect to know who these actors and actresses are and what's going on in the movie. If you start a 300-page novel on page 200, you shouldn't be surprised when you're confused as all get out and you don't know what's going on, right? The same thing is true with the Bible. When we come to it and not really, we don't really understand the beginnings of the Old Testament and the story that God started in the Old Testament, and especially the beginnings of that in the book of Genesis. And so you don't have to raise your hand here, but I do want to ask, like, do you struggle to read and understand the Old Testament? Do you start every year with the best of intentions about how this is finally going to be the year when you finally push through and make it through your Bible reading plan and read the whole Bible only to crash out and burn uh, by January or February because you don't understand the Old Testament and it's so frustrating to try to read it and not understand it? Well, listen, we want to help you with that by preaching through the entire book of Genesis. Uh, like, I'm so passionate about this. Like, listen, we want you to be able to read and engage with your Bible, especially the Old Testament. Like, I, I do not want you to be unable to engage with three-fourths of your Bible because you do not understand it. Like, the Old Testament has been taken from us because people have so neglected to teach it and preach it in the church over the past few decades, and I don't want that to be the case here. And because so much, so many of the times when Jesus has most deeply met me with his grace and I've just been caught up in worship of God have happened for me as I've read the Old Testament and I want that to be the case for you as well. Listen, this is not too hard to understand. It's not too difficult. It's not too abstract and confusing. It's not just left to the elite or to the academics or to pastors or to super Christians. This is for all of us. Like Genesis, but God inspired the book of Genesis for you. So that as you read it and understand it and engage with him in it and see more of him, you might grow to love him and know him and trust him and walk with him all of your days. We want to give you your Bible back. And so one of the ways we're going to do that is by showing how the Old Testament is not a book of moral examples for us to look up to and follow. Because so often, if the Old Testament is preached in church, that's the only way it's ever preached, you know? So we're supposed to be courageous and slay our giants like David. We're supposed to dare to be a Daniel. We're supposed to have faith like Abraham. But then you go back and you read the Old Testament, you realize that's not the story it's presenting us at all. I promise you, as we walk through this, you're going to see that most weeks, it feels like we're sitting in on an episode of Jerry Springer much more than it feels like we're sitting in at church. Like Cain kills his brother Abel. Uh, Noah gets drunk and passes out naked in his tent. Abraham and Isaac lie about their wives and say that they're their sisters. Lot's daughters get him drunk on back-to-back -back nights and take turns sleeping with him and getting impregnated by him. Uh, Jacob is a cheater and a deceiver. So is his uncle Laban. Rachel and Leah have a childbearing rivalry over their husband Jacob, and they start bribing each other to determine who gets to sleep with them that night. Like, Joseph is prideful. His brothers sell him into slavery in Egypt. Judah sleeps with his daughter-in-law, thinking that she is a prostitute. Like, this is not a book of good moral examples that we're supposed to look up to and follow. This is a book about the faithfulness of God. 
It's a book about how God keeps His promises, about how God will come through, about how God will save sinners and no one and no thing and no disobedience can stand in His way. It's a book about the goodness and graciousness of God, and so we're not going to it to find examples for us to follow. We're going to read it and look at it and preach through it to see more of how God is going to keep his promise to us in Jesus, how he is going to be faithful no matter what comes to fulfill his promise and save us in and through Jesus. And so that's why we preach through the book of Genesis. Let me introduce you to the book now. So Genesis really uh, does not stand alone. You can think of it kind of as the first chapter in a bigger book or the first book in a series because the Pentateuch or the Torah, what we call the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy uh, are all meant to be read together as one book. In fact, in Hebrew, in the language these books are originally written in, the first word of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers is the word and, like pointing back to the book that came before it. It's a continuation of the story. And so Genesis is a part of this larger story that God is writing to his people through Moses. Because on the human side, as far as who wrote it, uh, when Jesus quotes from it in the Gospels, he says Moses wrote it. And uh, that, that's good enough for me because Jesus is God, and so he was there, uh, I was not, and so I'm just going to take his word for it, that Moses wrote it. Now, obviously Moses didn't write all of it because the end of Deuteronomy describes Moses' death after the fact, and I could be wrong, but I really don't think Moses wrote about his own death after it happened uh, but the vast majority of the first five books is written by Moses. And so Moses writes this story to the redeemed people of God who have been redeemed out of slavery in Egypt and are journeying towards the promised land so that they can be God's people in God's place with God's presence, living under God's rule, experiencing God's blessing. It is written to the redeemed people of God so that they might know who their God is, what he's doing, and how he is being faithful to save them, which means that this is our book as well. This is a book for the people of God. Now, as far as how we're going to go through it, we're going to go through it in four parts. Uh, we're going to talk about creation and all that unfolds in the first 11 chapters, and then we'll look at the life of Abraham and then the life of Jacob, and we'll close out the book with the life of Joseph. And we've subtitled those four sections, uh, Trusting the Promise, Walking by Faith, Living in Grace, and Resting in Hope. Because we'll see in the first 11 chapters, God create this good world that then uh, falls into corruption when we bring sin and death into it. But then God makes a promise in Genesis 3, chapter 15, that he's going to bring a savior, a, a seed from the woman, an offspring of the woman who's going to come and will redeem sinners and will restore all that was lost in the fall and restore God's creation. And so we're learning to trust this promise, learning to look to the fulfillment of what God is going to do. In fact, the rest of the Bible is really just an expansion on this promise. It's looking to the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and what God's going to do and how he's going to keep this promise. We'll see uh, in the lives of Abraham what happens is God makes a promise to Abraham that the promised seed of Genesis 3 is going to come through his line, that it's going to be one of Abraham's offspring, and so we're looking for this as it goes. Uh, the life of Abraham will teach us what it looks like to walk by faith, to trust God and grow to a deeper trust in him when the fulfillment of his promises does not come quickly. 
The life of Jacob will showcase the deep grace of God, how he just pursues rebels and fools and sinners like us, how he does not quit on them, but he runs towards them and he wins them back to himself in grace. And then finally, the life of Joseph will teach us uh, about God's providence, about how God guides and directs and controls his world with goodness and wisdom uh, so that we can trust him. We'll learn what it means to rest in hope of this because our God is in control. And all the way through, every week, we'll see pictures and foreshadows and promises of how God is going to save his world through Jesus. We will see more of Jesus each and every week. And so if that's the book of Genesis, let's, let's come back to the text and walk through this one verse together now. Let's read it again. Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, uh, it's hard to overstate just how important this verse is, uh, because like I've already said, this verse is foundational not just to Genesis, and, and not just to the Pentateuch, and not just even to the entire Bible. This verse is foundational to rightly seeing and understanding the world we live in, like rightly understanding our lives, why we're here, why we matter, where all of this is going, uh, the importance of everything. Like This is the foundational reality of all our theology, of knowing who God is and what he's doing. Everything gets its start right here in the beginning, except God, right? Like, this is the beginning of our universe of time and space and history, but it is not the beginning of God. Because if you notice, the verse didn't say, in the beginning, God came into existence. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God did something because in the beginning, God was already there. Like something wasn't happening to God. God was making things happen. I heard another preacher uh, compare it to Chuck Norris because it's kind of like Chuck Norris. When Chuck Norris jumps into a pool, uh, Chuck Norris doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris, right? This is what's going on here. Like the, the world and the story is not happening to God. God is happening to the world and the story. It doesn't exist before him. He creates the world and the story. They do not exist without him. And, and so here's what we learn about God from this. If God created everything that currently exists, if he brought everything that exists into existence, that means he is eternal. He is the first cause of everything, which means he never had a beginning and he'll never have an ending. He just always has existed. He is completely independent. He doesn't depend on anyone or anything else for his life. He just always has been and always will be. He simply is. And because God is eternal, that means he does not create the world because he was bored or lonely or needed somebody to hang out with. No, from all of eternity, God has been enjoying the fullness of his life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God does not need to create the world to be God. And he does not create the world because he needed something. The world does not add anything to him or make him more of God than he was before. If it did, he would be a pretty crappy God. He does not need anything from anyone. Like, he is not dependent on us. He has aseity, which is just a nerdy way to say that no one had to give him his life. No one had to bring him into existence. He just has it in himself. And because all of this is true about God, that means that this world that he created is a gift. If he doesn't need it, 
He created it as a gift so that the fullness of his life and his love might be shared with his creation. Like the fact that we even exist is a gift. Do you realize that? Like God doesn't need us. We exist. We have life because God in his goodness wants to lavish his goodness and grace on us. We'll see this even more clearly next week as we walk through the rest of Genesis 1 and see over and over God pronounce it's good. It is good. It is good. He created it as a gift. And so this isn't all that we see in this verse because not only does this verse tell us about God, it also tells us something about creation because it says, in the beginning God created the heavens, meaning the skies, what we see above us, and the earth, what's around us and below us. Now, uh, when, when in the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, that's using what grammar nerds call a merism. Uh, a merism is when you use two contrasting parts to describe the whole of something. And, and so, for example, uh, let's say your kids are outside playing in the rain, and they get in a mud puddle and start playing in a mud puddle. And when I say they're playing in a mud puddle, like I don't mean they stepped in a mud puddle, or they ran through a mud puddle, or even that they got down and put their hands in a mud puddle. I mean like they dove in the mud puddle and took a swim in the mud puddle. And so let's say they do that, and they start running back into the house trying to come inside, uh, but you meet them at the back door, and you lock the back door, and you say, listen, you're not coming inside until you wash yourself off with the water hose. You're covered in mud from head to toe. Now, when you say they're covered in mud from head to toe, obviously that sums up everything, right? That means that their arms are covered in mud. It means that their kneecaps are covered in mud. It means that their hands are covered in mud. Everything on them is covered in mud. When you say something is from A to Z, like B and D and E and R and and X and Y are all wrapped up in that, right? It, It sums up everything. And so when, God, when the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, it means he created everything. Like everything that exists, he created. The sun, the moon, the stars, angels, mountains, streams, rivers, oceans, like he created it. Whatever exists, he made it. So you ask the question, like the solar system, yeah, God created that aardvarks and platypuses and sea urchins and other weird animals like that. Like, yeah, God created those. Mount Everest, God created that. The Pacific Ocean, God created that. Everything that exists, exists because God brought it into existence. He created everything that is. And he created it all out of nothing. Did you notice that? Like, he he didn't use anything else to create when he was creating. He just created it out of nothing. And this is different from us, right? Because everything that we create, we have to use other stuff to make it, right? If you're building something, you might nail some pieces of wood together, but you didn't create those pieces of wood out of nothing. You're putting together stuff that already existed in a new way. When you cook, you get all these different ingredients, and you might use heat to cook something, but you don't make like the meat appear out of nothing, right? But God does. This is a difference. God creates everything out of nothing all by himself. And this is not just the truth expressed here in Genesis 1.1. This is the repeated testimony of Scripture. Listen to some of these. Let me run through them. Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord... The heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. 
Psalm 148, 1 through 5, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. Isaiah 44, 24, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God spoke it all into existence in the beginning. He created everything out of nothing all by himself. And this truth that God created everything out of nothing is so significant because this means that God is transcendent. It means he is different from us. He is not like us. It's not like God is an adult and we are kids or like he is Superman and we're just normal human beings. No, he is a totally different type of being than us. He is not just a bigger version of us. He is completely different from us. He is the creator. We are the creation. He created everything out of nothing. And so there's no crossing this divide. Like he has no rivals. He has no equals. There's no one who can compete with him because he is the creator and we are creation. But not only does it mean that God is transcendent, it also means that God is timeless. Like time came into being here in the beginning when everything else was created. And because time is God's creation, uh, he exists outside of time. All time is eternally present to him. So, that, so much so that the future is not just something that he knows. The future is somewhere that he already is. Uh, he's, omnip he's omnipresent. He's present at all times, in all places, in all spaces, because they're eternally present to him. He's omniscient. He knows everything because all knowledge of everything that there could ever be is eternally present to him. He's immutable. He doesn't change. Uh, to be a part of creation, to be a creature means that we exist in time, and so we experience change. Like, what happened this morning, you can't go back there. Like, you're not able to go back and, and engage and live in that time anymore. You're not able to jump ahead to the future. We exist in time, and we experience change, but God does not because he exists out of time. He is immutable. It also means that God is all-powerful and in absolute control. If he created everything, that means he's greater than everything that he created, which means nothing in his creation is able to overpower him and take him out of control. Like, no one's ever going to be able to catch him off guard. No one's ever going to be able to get a first hit in on him. No one's ever going to be able to take him by surprise. No, he rules over everything in absolute control. This is why Daniel 4 verse 35 says that nothing in creation can stop God's hand or say to him, what have you done? What are you doing? No, he rules over it all in absolute control. And so I think if we're honest, uh, this is a bigger picture of God than most of us are used to hearing, myself included. And, and what this verse is teaching us about God has the potential to be kind of scary. Because listen, if God is the transcendent creator of everything who's supreme over everything, that means that we are creation. That means that there is a God and you are not him. 
It means that we are not radically independent like our culture would have us to believe. We are dependent. We depend on God for our life and our breath and our everything. It means we don't get to make up our own meaning. We don't get to go our own way and try to define ourselves. We don't just get to try to define truth and reality for ourselves. We don't get to play the game of my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. And what matters is that you're just sincere. No, God is the creator And so he sets the rules. He calls the shots. He determines truth and reality. You are not your own. You are accountable to him. Because we are creation, we will stand before him in judgment. We will answer to him. You are not your own because he defines your life and your purpose and why you are here. Because you were made for him, for his glory, not for yourself. And so If that's true, and it is, that God is a supremely transcendent creator that all of us are going to answer to and stand before, that means the most fundamental question in our lives is the question of what is this God like? Like, he is this powerful, he is the creator, but is he just an angry dictator up in the sky? Because if he is, then what Genesis 1-1 is telling us about his transcendence and his absolute power is terrible news. Because this is worse than a bad boss with a job that you just can't quit yet or a crappy coach on a team that you don't want to leave. Like this is a creator of the universe who you will stand before, who's ready to pounce and has all the power in the world to do it. Like if God is not a good God, we are all in trouble. And because God is transcendent, because he's so different and unlike us, because he's the creator and we are creation, There's no way we're going to be able to make our way back up to him. There's no way we can climb up to him and know things about him because he's not just at the top of a ladder somewhere. He's not just kind of hanging out up in the sky. He is totally different from us. So the only way we're ever going to know anything about him is if he comes down to us. If he does something to reveal himself. And so on our own, We're never going to be able to figure out what this God is really like and what his character is. But the good news that Genesis 1 tells us is that God does not remain distant and closed off and far off. He does not remain hidden from us. God speaks. God communicates with us. He reveals himself to us. God talks to us. And this is incredible news because this is the way we really get to know people, right? When they talk to us. If they don't talk to us, what they're thinking, what they're feeling in their heart remains a closed-off mystery to us that we can't hear. Um, So I've used this illustration before with you, but it's been a little bit over a year, I think, and uh, take it easy on me. I'm one guy with one life, and uh, I'm really just not that creative. Um, But let me give you an example of what I mean. So um, I really do not like seafood. Uh, I had a bad run-in with some popcorn shrimp, uh, and I really just do not care to relive that night. And so I don't like seafood, and when when I was still going to seminary and uh, we were living on campus at the seminary, we had some friends uh, that lived down the street from us, and when we were first getting to know them, uh, they invited us over a few times for dinner, and the first couple of times that we came over, uh, they made salmon for us because they love salmon. And, uh, you know, I was trying to be mature. I was trying to just eat it and not complain, and I did. Um, but after the second time, I, like on the way home, I finally had to tell Brayden, I was like, hey, listen, 
uh, I just can't do it again. I, I really can't do it again. It's so bad. I hate salmon. You've got to tell them uh, that I just can't do it again. Now, uh, if Braylon or I had never told them that I hated salmon, they never would have known that, right? Like, my inaudible thoughts, what I was thinking and feeling would have remained a mystery to them, but me speaking it and putting it into words made my heart and my likes and my dislikes known, right? We get knowledge of someone when they talk to us, and the good news is that God is not silent. The good news is that God actually doesn't stop talking to us. This is one of the reasons why the Bible is so long is because God has so much to tell us about himself. It's also why the Apostle John picks up this verse at the beginning of his gospel and shows us why the coming of Jesus is such good news. Do you remember the beginning of the gospel of John when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so John shows us that the God who created everything in Genesis 1 is Father, Son, and Spirit, and this God, Father, Son, and Spirit, what John tells us a little bit further down in chapter 1 is that the Son of God, Jesus, the Word, the second person of the Trinity, the one who is here in Genesis 1 creating everything with the Father and the Holy Spirit, He took on flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He says, no one has ever seen God, but Jesus the Son has made him known. Jesus has revealed him. And so we don't have to wonder if God is good. We don't have to wonder what God is like. We only have to look to Jesus because Jesus has made him known. This is why John 3.16 is such good news that God so loved the world that he created that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. That God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. This is what God is like. God is a good God, a God who so loves his creation that he's willing to take on flesh and die for it to redeem it. He is not a cosmic terror up in the sky. He is the one who was willing to go to this sort of length to bring us back to himself. When we couldn't cross the divide, he did. Which means that the point of all of this is that you can trust him. Because the God who is the transcendent creator, who's supreme, who's powerful, who's all-knowing, immutable, transcendent, all of these things is the same God who loves you enough to humble himself and while still remaining the creator, become creation in Jesus Christ and come live the perfect life that we have not lived and die the death for sin that we should have died and rise from the dead to defeat death and bring in the restoration of the entire world. Like the God who is this big and is this powerful truly loves you, truly sees you, truly cares for you and was willing, like he created you just to lavish his love and goodness on you, just because he wants to have fellowship with you and he died on a cross so that we would never doubt that it's true. And because we know what God is going to do in Jesus and in the cross, it means all the things that we just said about God from Genesis 1 become incredible news. God is all-powerful, 
which means that no one will ever cause him to lose control of your life and all of his power is turned in love towards you. He's all-knowing, so the sins that you don't even know about that you're going to commit in the future are not going to catch him by surprise. He's unchanging, and so he's never going to change his mind about you or his purposes for you. Like, what greater comfort could there be than to know that the creator of the universe who made everything loves you? Like, what is there left to fear if the God in heaven who's this powerful and this big is truly for you? And he's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of giving your whole life to. And so the, the response to this text is to do just that, to worship him and trust him as our good creator. And so let's do this now. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll respond to God. We will trust him and worship him because he is a good God who created us, knows us, loves us, gave himself for us, and is for us. Let me pray for us and we'll respond. Jesus, thank you for the good news that God, though you are so big and so transcendent and so not like us, that you love us enough to take on our flesh and live our life and die the death that we should have died and rise from the dead to forgive us and make us your own. Thank you, God, that though you are high and lofty, you say that you dwell with the humble and with the contrite in spirit. That though you are so big and powerful, you can be found in the low places. Jesus, I pray we would know this, we would take it to heart, we would trust you that, uh, God, you are not a, a, a big terror up in the sky who's just this powerful um, dictator, but you are the one who loves us enough to take on flesh. You are the one who loves us enough to pursue when we run to come to us when we run away from you. Jesus, help us to know it, help us to believe it, help us to trust it, help us to worship you. I pray that you would help us in this moment through your spirit. In your name, amen.